having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Hello and welcome to the Six O'Clock Swill, the podcast the world turns to when it's had its fill of Joe Rogan and it can't find anything worth watching on Netflix. I'm Nick Cater in Sydney, joined by Tim Blair on the New South Wales Central Coast. Tonight, we search for meaning in the President of the United States' strange encounter with the Easter Bunny. And we ask, can COVID save Anthony Albanese's election campaign? We uncover the gas-guzzling hypocrisy of woke politicians plus needling Mike Tyson and other dangerous in-flight activities. A witness on the JetBlue flight says Tyson repeatedly punched a guy in the face after getting annoyed by him. Well, Tim, there is an Australian election campaign and, and the world's been missing an awful lot by focusing on uh, minor stories like Ukraine. Uh, we might just bring them up to date with what's been happening. Anthony Albanese, the opposition leader that the entire commentariat, except for you and me, I think, were convinced at the start of this campaign was going to end in triumph, had a very tricky first week. But um, I don't know if you caught him at the Blues Fest on, on Sunday, was it, or Monday, he went along yes. uh, to the, the Blues Fest, rock festival up at Byron Bay, and uh, according to Shane Wright in the Fairfax newspapers, it was a triumph, Tim, a triumph. Or Albanese, hand in hand with his partner, Josie Hyden, and an access pass around his neck, had a bounce in his step as he made his way to catch some of the shows at Blues Fest. I think he also Pardon. caught COVID there, didn't he? I think he probably did. We might come to that in a minute. Yeah. A crowd of several thousand strong gave Albanese the biggest cheer he'd enjoyed so far on the campaign as he entered the hot and sweaty crossroads stage. It was almost as if he was the star of the night as an elbow, elbow <laughs> chart started from stage right. <laughs> on, on and on it goes, concluding with this. Later in the evening, he got some time on stage ahead of Jimmy Barnes, the real working-class man of Australian move, music, and his show for the evening. Yeah, I, I, I watched that clip. I, I, I wasn't exactly sure if it was cheering that I heard. But well, he, 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 was, he was cheered initially when he just turned up when there was no... No music playing. When he just sort of lobbed and the crowd went, oh, my God, it's Albo. Hooray for Albo. What are the odds of him being cheered you know, in Byron Bay by a bunch of stoners? <laughs> well, let's listen to the clip and we'll decide. Good night. To, to be absolutely fair, I think News.com described it as a mixed reception. Yes, he, he was cheered initially when he first turned up, but what we're hearing there is when he, um, inter, you know, he pushed his luck. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jimmy Barnes! The version I've heard is that the uh, promoter of the event, or the MC, had revved the crowd up. They were all ready to see Jimmy Barnes. He had them in a Barnes frenzy. Barnstorming. I think it's known. Yeah, they were, yeah, they were barnstorming the stage. And, uh, and the MC announced something like, you know, and here he is now, the man you've been waiting for, the working class man himself. And then Albo walked out. So they were a little bit disappointed. I think we picked up a, just a trace of that disappointment in that clip. Just a trace. I think they were clearly expecting the working class man. They ended up with a woking class man. They ended up with a bloke with a $5 million property portfolio. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, I guess that's nothing compared to Barnsley. He'd have to be travelling pretty well, wouldn't he? Well, it wasn't really Albanese's week, although people said he came back in the uh, the people's debate face-to-face -face with the Prime Minister on Wednesday. I wasn't so sure myself, but uh, I, I think they, he, he got marks just for staying on his feet, didn't he? It's a kind of a bit like Joe Biden these yes, days. Yes, it was a, a Biden victory. He didn't you know, stumble, he didn't uh, mispronounce anything, he managed to make it through. He might have been a bit loose with the fact in one or two areas uh, regarding his um, 
his newfound love of turning boats away. That might have been a bit of fudging from Albo. I, I liked it when um, Scott Morrison decided to multitask. He briefly took over Kieran Gilbert's job as the um, as the uh, interrogator. That was that was handy work. Can I ask Our a question? Our position is very clear. So, so when you were Deputy Prime Minister, why didn't you support turnbacks then? You weren't proposing no, that we, then. No, you we were, were not proposing. Well, I'm sorry, you, you we were were not it was our policy. You were not Turnbacks were our policy before you, you the 2013 not. election. I was the Shadow Immigration Minister. I designed the policy. So I'm, you were on the National Security Committee, I think, for the first time at that time. So why did you not support turnbacks? I was on the National Security Committee. We had established offshore processing. That was the first step. So you were going to do turnbacks? No. No, that's right. Okay. That's right. I just wanted to be clear. But but why is it, Scott, that you're always looking for a division? Not looking for No, no, I'm just looking for the accuracy and the truth. (laughs) Well, the truth is we support... Boat turnbacks. But and you we'll didn't it. when you were Deputy Prime Minister and, and we'll, the boats were coming at 30 and, and we'll 40 a week. <laughs> he, he, he was able to do... He was able to ask and answer questions. Ask himself questions. I think he was, no, he was asking Albert at one point. It, it became um, briefly interesting from that point of view. So, yeah, I think it was hard to do worse than Albo's first week, so you always get points for not being completely... stuffing up everything all over again. Um, he's... Throughout the week, he was largely able to avoid his uh, his uh, trademark multiple press conferences, which is when you give one press conference and then you come back for a second when you correct all the mistakes you made in the first. He didn't have to do that so much in the second week, so he cut his workload in half. Very impressive. Well, okay, let's let's award him five points for turning up, mm. another five for staying on his feet, and uh, and five for not. Not not knowing some vital statistic like the unemployment statistic, so that's fifteen out of fifteen in my book for the elbow. Well, we done. might have to score him a little higher than that because you remember Graham Richardson's advice, the Labor legend who advised him, you know, take a few days off. You're buggered, you're buggered, son. That was after three days of campaigning, mm. by the way. Mm. Well, Albo's managed to take those days off without sort of looking as though he's taking them off because of the COVID. He's got the, the COVID. COVID. Well, he's obviously, you know, inspired by Biden's unlikely presidential victory. He's seen the court, the path to victory as remaining in a basement in front of a laptop. Yeah, I, being... I was, you kind of expected that maybe his, um, his party would have organised for a bit better uh, video quality or something. You know, just set up a... Get ahead of the thing and put in a decent little home studio in there, or at least a decent camera. But yeah, he appears to be uh, laptoping it for the next seven or eight days. <laughs> Perhaps we should send him a link to Riverside, Tim, this wonderful new platform that we use to give us crisp, <laughs> clear sound. Oh, we should, maybe, we, maybe we should interview him next week if he's still going, you know, he'd be stir crazy after a few uh, days locked up. That'd be worth a try, wouldn't it? Who's his, yeah, his press secretary? I used to know his press secretary, who's a bit of a a guy who used to write a column in the Australian. What's his yeah, name? James. Jeffrey. Yeah. James Jeffrey. We haven't heard much from him lately, have we? No. Put in a word for us. Maybe we'll get Albo on. Oh, by the way, Tim, last week I thought we we uh, rather... Uh, it was remiss of us to miss what I thought was one of the best headlines of all time on the subject of Albo from really? the... Um, from the West Australian. Okay. He doesn't know his ass from his elbow. <laughs> but, but in deference to their sensitive, sensitivity to their readers, they... They deleted elbow? Asterisk. Two asterisks in the middle of, of ass anyway. So It's a perfectly Australian term. Come on, you don't need to asterisk that, please. Plenty of elbow puns to go, I'm sure, in, in this campaign. Um, where are we up to? Well, we um Week two, that's a third of the way through. Uh, what yeah. a pity. I'm enjoying it so much. <laughs> I mean, overseas viewers must think it's extraordinary that both our, our Prime Minister and our alternative Prime Minister are known by their nicknames, Albo and Scomo, and it would be very odd for anybody to refer to them you know, as the Honourable Anthony Albanese MP or, or anything like that. I'll tell you what, though. Scott Morrison must, it must renew his faith in our risen Lord every time that he considers that he could very well have been christened Howard, because that that nickname wouldn't work at all. (laughs) 
Howie. But that's the thing, Tim. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, um, we had an election which saw the end of that tremendous period of government, um, which was best of all. The best thing of all about it was that it irritated the ABC so much yes. that he was in power for four terms. But nobody called the Prime Minister anything other than Mr Howard, did they? And I, I still don't. I run into him from time to time, and it's still... Mr. Howard, uh, but but in fifteen years that's changed. So now we call our prime ministers Scomo. Is this is this prob is this a problem? Do you think we're showing too much lack of respect or familiarity? Oh, no, I think it's fine. I think also um, both of them encourage it as well. It just makes it easier to fit these names into headlines. It's uh, it's always a challenge. Howard was a bugger, wasn't it? Because uh, on a on an old fashioned. Um, typesetting a w counted as one and a half letters oh did it well that would complexify things immensely you'd have to talk to the guild about that column wouldn't you get one of your, your british journalist journalism you know guilds how did that work by the way tell us about the guilds wasn't wasn't each wasn't there a guild for every column every typeset column <laughs> that's right I mean, it was it was incredibly weird British journalism was so heavily unionised, it made Australian newspapers and our sort of union structure when it existed in the in the media look um, look incredibly light by comparison. Yeah, it took um, Rupert Murdoch to fix that, didn't it? God bless him. The um, yes. warrior whopping. of whopping. But there was another debate. Another debate? Did I miss one? There was a debate between two candidates in Wentworth. Well, the sitting candidate, Dave Sharma who is from the uh, Matt Keane, Malcolm Turnbull, stupid idiot wing of the Liberal Party, and Allegra Spender, who's one of those rich climate ladies. And, uh, of course, both these candidates, massive on climate issues. Dave Sharma is, uh, told the audience during the debate that he takes credit for being one of the Liberals who pushed for uh, zero emissions by 2050. And uh, Allegra Spender, too, she's, she's made... She'd made climate the centre of her campaign. But uh, they were both both pulled up short by one very good question from the audience. An audience member asked them if they had solar panels and drove electric cars. Turns out, no, 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 no. Neither of them have a solar panel or an electric car between them. Dave Sharma said that he didn't have an electric car and because he lived in a terrace house... He couldn't. He couldn't install solar panels. I'm not sure why. Yeah, he did say that he would drive an electric car if the Commonwealth supplied one, which seems to be um, the sort of response you get from a lot of a lot of uh, would-be clean people. They'll 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 of course turn totally green and everything as long as someone else's pays. Mm. Someone else pays. Mm. Allegra Spender, for her part, she said that. Uh, damn it, she tried. She tried to install solar panels, but she lives in what she called a strata area. Strata area. Yes, I'm not sure what that means. And also, she didn't have a driveway or a garage where she could recharge an electric car. Now, of course, Allegra Spender, like all people in this country, once you've selected a property to live in, you're stuck there for life. There's no way you can possibly move away from there to, say, find a place with... um, with a garage or a driveway or some means of uh, powering an electric vehicle, recharging an electric vehicle, or in fact a place where you could put solar panels on the roof. And also, um, I'm guessing the Legra Spender is incredibly poor and doesn't have any um, relocation options because of that as well. But uh, yeah, she's stuck in her little strata area, a zone. I suspect she's never been to Bunnings, Tim, the the big box hardware (laughs) store. I don't know if they have a Bunnings at all on on the... in the eastern <laughs> suburbs, is there a Bunnings in Vaucluse? Probably not, but probably not. No. I, you can get. I, I bought one the other day. You can get a a twenty meter extension cord, orange, in yeah. in, in solid tradey high durability standard for less than thirty mm. bucks. Now, surely she can afford a couple of those and stretch it out onto the pavement wherever she's parked her gus guzzling Porsche Cayenne or whatever she drives. Oh, she she did say she owns. A hybrid, a petrol-powered hybrid, and a diesel vehicle, which um, aren't diesels now the vehicle of shame among the Greens after, you know, all the Volkswagen... They are, yeah. 
Oh, they're totally shamed. That's a terrible mark against Allegra Smender. She's um she's not exactly uh, putting her best climate foot forward, her climate footprint forward. Well, she, is she? She's probably a bargain hunter because did you notice for a while, diesels were heavily discounted here because we yes. were buying all the ones that the European companies couldn't <laughs> flog in Europe <laughs> owing to their high uh, pollution content. Yes, well, I think uh, Dave Shama said that he does own an electric Vespa. <laughs> okay, I wasn't aware. That, I know that Vespa make an electric model, but I didn't think. It had gone on sale yet here, but if he does own one, it's cost him about ten grand. They're not they're not going to be cheap when and if they're on sale in Australia. They're about twice as much as an ordinary Vespa. Talking of electric vehicles, Tim, I, I made I drove down to uh, I drove down to Melbourne um, this weekend just because I had a meeting on Tuesday and I didn't want to fly because I hate masks. No. We might talk about that in a minute. And I enjoy the drive, but I stopped off at Tarcutta. You remember Tarcutta? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's almost equidistance between. Sydney and Melbourne, you know, about five hours drive either way. And is that the joint with the submarine? That's is that right. The joint with the I, submarine. Yeah I, yeah, I can't remember the history of the submarine, but there it is. An unlikely sort of position about what a good four hundred plus kilometres from the coast with a submarine there. How it got there? there I, don't Ch- know. I, I think there are Chinese inside of it. <laughs> Someone should check. <laughs> I suppose they could have come up the Murray backwards part of the way, but even then, I mean, it's a good what. 200k from Albury. But anyway, the, do you know what I saw at the servo? Two electric charging stations, neither of go. which looked like they'd ever been used. <laughs> I mean, who in their right mind would risk driving a Tesla from Sydney to Melbourne? Well, also, you, I mean, it's quite a risk driving a Tesla, you'd think, in some of the, um, in some of the woke areas of Australia because... Now that Elon Musk is um, is turning into a the man who would destroy Twitter and possibly reintroduce the likes of Donald Trump to the platform, well, again, your Tesla might be a vehicle. It might be the next diesel. Your Teslas will be attacked by uh, angry Wokens, terrified of a, a Trumpian return. Anyway, we digress. Of course, we do. The election and the. Um to what some is the development that will finally kill the chances of the Liberal Party winning any seats whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that was the discovery that Catherine Deves, the candidate for the seat of Warringo, remember that's Tony Abbott's old seat, it's in favour mm-hmm. of the idea of not allowing biological men, transgender biological men, to compete alongside women in women's sports. She's not she thinks that's a yes. an unreasonable thing. Well Matt Keeney you mentioned earlier Matt's not a transgender guy, is he, I don't think, or a transgender woman, not that I'm aware. He's trans in one respect. What's that? Uh, I think you mentioned earlier, he's, he's, he's trans-political. Yeah, 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 that's right. He's a socialist trapped inside the body of a politician representing the Conservative Party. Yes, yes, he's, um, he's got to transition out of that. There is an operation you can, they can do. He must be pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So he is, after all, just standing up for what he believes in. But this is what he said about Catherine Deves standing for the seat of Warringah, believing these terrible things is going to have terrible consequences for the Liberal Party. Have a listen. Well, I am very worried. I think Trent Zimmerman uh, is one of the best people that is serving in our parliament. I mean, he's been my mentor and he's been one of my heroes. Um, you know, Dave Sharma is another outstanding liberal in the Liberal Party. Does uh, this hurt their chances? Prosperous society. Well, I think it does. And I'm very concerned about that. And I don't think having candidates that want to uh, spruik the politics of division is in the interests of the party or in those in the interests of those particular candidates. Politics of division. Oh dear. But anyway, that, that would... Uh, Patricia Carvelis, as you heard, you know, you know, Tim, was conducting that interview would... Uh, of course, went on to agree wholeheartedly with Matt Keane that this was going to be a terrible development. But but wait a minute. I, I came across some polling that was done just in the last two weeks by uh, Compass Polling, mm-hmm. uh, which tells us that 80%, 80%, four out of five coalition voters agree with Catherine Deeves' position that transgendered men should not compete in women's sport. 
That's that's a pretty. You'd be hard pressed to find that sort of number on any subject within the Liberal Party. Issue. No. What else yeah. do the Liberal Party agree with? Eighty percent agree on the same topic. Eighty well, percent agree on this topic, and it's opposed due to being divisive. That's, uh, yeah. that's not, they used to they used to refer to you know, the American press used to refer to Reagan as divisive. They continued to do this after he carried 49 out of the 50 states. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, by definition, that is not a divided country, nor is, uh, nor is it being led by a divisive president. No. But uh, then, you, um, then you, you have someone like Obama who won by a much narrower margin, and he's the great uniter. Oh. Yeah. Mathematics is difficult. Yeah, the, it, divisive is, means anything they don't like, really. But <laughs> wait a minute. I mean, because some people say, well, that's just those miserable hateful, hating conservatives who, who think this is a good yes. idea. 60% of Labour voters, three out of five Labour voters, agree that transgender women shouldn't compete, or transgender men shouldn't compete in women's sport. And it, it, yeah. it's the same right across every demographic. You know, 68% of school leavers, 66% yep. of university graduates. So it, it, it's very little difference, and, and the same in age too, you know. Uh, uh, especially strong, of course, with older people. But wait a minute, the seat in which Catherine Deves is standing is is an older electorate. So I just can't see it. In fact, I think it's a I think it's an actual triumph for the Liberal Party. I think if nothing else will win, is likely to win them the election. It's that they're actually standing up for something that people clearly regard as important. It would be an odd pub in Australia where the majority of customers were not supportive of uh, Dave's position on transgender hmm. sport. But at the same time, as we've commented before, they, if a transgender person wandered into that pub, they'd be as welcome as anybody else. Oh, hell yeah. Like, no one cares. It's just you don't want to disadvantage someone who's put, you know, a lifetime of training into their sport and then gets wiped aside by you know, some bloke. Yeah. Unfair, man. And, uh, and now we've actually got... For a long time in this debate, you've had various athletes who haven't been prepared to put their name to comments because they knew they were going to get smashed by the forces of work. But uh, we've had two female Australian swimmers, Olympic champions, one of the most successful Olympian, mm. say that you know they've taken a stand and say that uh, they don't agree that um, transgender uh, chaps should be competing against women in, uh, in, in swimming. This is a, a big step when they're actually saying it with their names, yeah. Once again, we've allowed them to redefine the debate for us, haven't we? I mean, until 10 minutes ago, nobody would have disputed that women... You define a woman on biological terms. Mm. Yeah. But suddenly it's a matter of identity. Now you, now you get banned on Twitter if you do that. Yeah. You yeah. don't get banned if you threaten to kill someone, by the way. Um, there was a, a awful comment during last week where... Um, uh, a particular individual was uh, of, of conservative sort of nature, uh, was targeted with uh, uh, threats, um, direct assassination threats, and um, she alerted Twitter to it, and Twitter said, no, no, yeah, no we're, we're good with it. And then someone else would say, you know, by the way, women are women. Oh, oh, no, you're gone, son. Dangerous. It's a, it's a different world. Dangerous. The most dangerous thing is to be on a plane with Mike Tyson and making the unusual decision to annoy Mike Tyson. Oh, I've got a clip of that. Any any news story that begins with Mike Tyson has been caught on video is going to be a cracking story, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be boring. On camera, a crazy fight involving boxing legend Mike Tyson on board a flight that was about to take off from San Francisco. And CBS 2's Christine Lazar joins us now with video of what went down. Another week, another unruly passenger, but this time he's famous, of course. Uh, and you know he throws a good punch. Oh, so you know. That it. had to hurt. <laughs> a witness on the JetBlue flight says Tyson repeatedly punched a guy in the face after getting annoyed by him. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, Mike, Mike, come on. Now, a photo obtained by TMZ shows the passenger's bloodied forehead. He reportedly received medical attention and went over what happened with the police. Talk about poking the bear, Tim. <laughs> what got into the guy? I gather he was drunk. How drunk can you get? Like, seriously, I mean, you could, you could 
No. It's just, I can't imagine a level of alcohol poisoning so profound that you'd think it a damn good idea to tease Mike Tyson. This is not a clever move. It's not as if he didn't know the chap sitting one row in front of him was Mike Tyson. He was fully aware of it. Uh, this is unlike, as happened to a friend of mine some years ago, he was leaving the uh, Sydney Cricket Ground after an AFL match. Uh, a lot of traffic, you know, the cars move very slowly as they go past. It's just too many vehicles for that road to handle in a, in a post-match circumstance. So he was, with thousands of other spectators, was crossing the four lanes to uh, to leave the SCG. And a car kind of just lurched a little bit towards him. Might have nudged him, nudged his leg. So my friend to express his annoyance, slammed both hands on the car's bonnet, which was a big mistake, because then the car's driver's side door opened and Jeff Fennick got out. And that's when my friend, I think he was in his early 40s at the time, my friend, discovered he could still run like an 18-year-old. He sprinted for a good 20 minutes, flat out, never pausing to look back, lest that slow him to the extent that Fennec would catch him and deliver some cruel Jeff Fennec style. I love you's all justice. I think if I was in that position, wouldn't my boxing skills would be as bad as ever, but I might suddenly improve as a runner. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking you know, about Olympians, I think we'd all be, you know, be sub 10 seconds for the first 100 metres and, uh, and just keep going, you know, until you can't hear any footsteps. Just go, go, go. Well, I reckon this guy was... I think he'd been listening to some of these media reports that said that Mike Tyson was mellowing in his old age. But wait a minute. Well, these things are, these things are relative. Like, a 10% mellower Mike Tyson is still a whole lot less mellow than your median mellow level for, a, you know, a person of his age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to remember the base is coming off. Well, this man bit off you know? a guy's ear, right? Yes. He's a convicted <laughs> racist. He, he was yeah, known no, as... No, rapist, yeah. He wasn't known as Kid Dynamite, Iron Mike and the baddest <laughs> man on the planet for nothing. Yes. <laughs> Undisputed a, world heavyweight champion from 1987. He's got a bit of a temper. 1990. I, I think I'd be... I'd be calling him yeah. a sir, for sure. <laughs> Probably not Absolutely. making eye contact if I could help it. Well, not even sir. He might, you know, just in case he's got a hearing difficulty, he misinterprets it. You just... Just be very polite and quiet. Mind your own business. I tell you what, though, it was a good job it was only Mike Tyson, wasn't it? it... <laughs> <laughs> Who would have been worse? Thug Nasty. Oh, yes, you remember friend, yeah. Thug Nasty. We've played this a few times. I, I love it. To... You know why I wear my boots on a plane? Nuh-uh. Right when I get on, I'm looking for terrorists. Really? Always assume there's about four of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, yeah. and... If there's four of them, you know how they operate, right? There's going to be two sleepers. So I'm really, I'm looking for the four ones that are going to pop up. Yeah. Those are the motherfuckers I'm dropping first. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I got right. a pair of boots. I'm going boom right to the nuts. Right to the You know nuts. what I'm saying? Boom right to the nuts. Boom, boom. Turn around. Taking out another one. I'm going to start stomping on their heads and shit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then I'm looking for the sleep. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you, got, if you were a, a, a person who was a bit anxious about flying because of the risk of terrorism. If you're the sort of person who was jittery during flights because you thought it might be taken over by terrorists, wouldn't it be relaxing to see that, you know, on the same plane as you was Thug Nasty and Mike Tyson? You'd just sleep through the entire flight. You're, just... you're, in, you're in economy class. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crusty. Thug is in... Thug is in 13A, Tyson's in 13C, yeah. and you're stuck yeah. in the middle. I'd be like... I'm safe as. This is terrific. Nothing can get me. <laughs> Just don't don't spill anything on either one of them when you when the food arrives. <laughs> there's good news, though. There's good in. I, I, let's not put people off of flying in America altogether. No, it, it was fantastic uh, in the week when a federal court district judge overturned the decision by the authorities that masks would stay in place. Uh, he said it was a. Uh, an imposition on freedom. Uh, and only days before, of course, Joe Biden had been defending masks in planes, even though... Well, he wears them outside. He's an idiot. Well, when he thinks he's outside, God knows what he imagines the shape of the world is or wherever he's walking around. He might think he's always in a room. <laughs> he might think trees are people. <laughs> Come on to that in a minute. But any any politician, I think, who wants to stay ahead of the game right now would be 
leading the charge to do away with this stuff because people are sick of them, aren't they? Um, Absolutely. Anyway, when this was announced, this decision was announced over the loudspeaker system on um, on aircraft about to take off, there was celebration, um, including this rather tuneful offering from a flight attendant. Oh! Was that on an aircraft or on the midnight train from Georgia? That was a beautiful, <laughs> tuneful offering. Um, I think it was it, it was one of the pips. I think who's fallen on bad times and is now <laughs> <laughs> to take a job a as an air, air crew member. Um, there was there's a lot of pro mask people online who are, are very distressed by this. The fact that people aren't being bossed around anymore. I mean, no one's stopping them wearing masks. And there was someone who turned up wearing a mask on social media and said that she's going to bravely defy the no mask uh, advice. Mm. I mean, what are you defying? Not, no one cares. <laughs> I mean, it's, and uh, Paul Krugman, the uh, alleged economist at uh, the New York Times, Nobel Prize winner, by the way, he wrote that um, we risk a terrible backlash towards the masked and masked people will be beaten <laughs> <laughs> by unmasked goons who are offended by their face facial fabric. Now, I don't know where, where Krugman goes out or anything, but masks uh, are not entirely uncommon. Even before the pandemic, you'd occasionally see people wearing masks. Mm. You'd see, you know, uh, Asian people were big mask wearers. I think out of, I don't know why, just some cultural sort of reason or some sensitivity to um, being in, in crowds mm, mm. and uh, and concerned about airborne diseases. But it was not super uncommon to see the occasional person wearing a mask. Mm. I don't recall anyone ever being beaten in, those, in that pre-pandemic era for not wearing a mask. You're far more likely to be assaulted during the pandemic if you didn't wear a mask. If you were the unmasked, then uh, you were you were regarded as a as a terrible menace to public health, and uh, the least at the very least you generally get some some sinister looks from our masked betters. Cool. Do they assume that everything turns around now, and that if someone wears a mask, that uh, they're going to cop a, a beating? How does that work? Well, and it, of course, it's not as if we didn't know that they weren't effective. Here's the thing to me: I've they're completely been, ineffective. They do nothing. Yeah, well, I've, I've been um, researching masks as it happens because I've got a dirty, great, rusty hole in my treasured Jeep Cherokee and uh, yeah. and I want to repair it. So you've got to do two things, of course. You've got to fill it and sand it. You're, yeah. you're advised to wear a mask for sanding and a, N, yeah. you know, those what are N- a proper 40, one. Yeah, well, an N45 will do because the dust, yeah. it will stop the dust from one of those. But... When you yeah. get onto the spraying phase, when you've got aerosols, yes. you've got to wear, a, a, you know, essentially a, a gas mask or, you know, I think they call them yeah. respirators. It's a much, much more heavily qualified thing. Well, the the COVID virus, we are told, is more of the size of the aerosol spray yeah. units than it is of the dust. Well, it's so, probably smaller. I so, mean, you know, you can, you can see an aerosol spray. You can't really see a cloud of... COVID, yeah. can you? So you wouldn't trust it at one of these N... Are they called M40? I can't even be bothered to learn the names of them. I just hope they'll get out of our lives. But those ones... That there people- are actually people there who, like, just... They're not technical or chemical or um, or health people, but they're so deep into this mask nonsense that they do know all the numbers for the different masks. Yeah. That is a terrible waste of, uh, of, uh, of your memory. That? Committing to memory your different mask. Oh, you've got a you've got a, a, a D95. Oh no no no, I've swapped it out for an M42. You know, like well, shut up. Learn football stats. Learn something useful. And I think they're making flying even more dangerous, to be honest, because you know, if once masks are compulsory, how do you spot the sleepers? You know, the sleepers should be wearing masks, <laughs> and that's how you'd spot them. The terrorists. <laughs> Everybody well, becomes a potential terrorist. Well, what what if um, you know someone would have a, a lot 
fewer facial fractures if Mike Tyson had been wearing a mask and he didn't, the guy didn't recognise him and make a fool of himself. <laughs> that would have been a lot healthier for the gentleman if, if he didn't he just sees some guy and goes, oh, bloke's pretty well built. Instead, he sees a, a guy and goes, hey, Mike Tyson, let's tease this person for no good reason at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it used to Let's be... Let's find out what it's like to be a punching bag. Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to the days when somebody walking into the bank would be arrested. Inst- yes. Without, with a mask on would be arrested. And now you walk into the bank without a mask and you risk being arrested. Let's go back to the normal pattern of human... Well, it's like in the, in the early days of the coronavirus, there was a brilliant letter to Viz magazine, the British satirical comic magazine. And someone said that, He's been advised by the government that uh, if he wants to go to a park, he should take uh, sanitizer lotion, a length of rope so that he's um, got proper distancing. He can measure the distance between him and himself and other people, and a mask. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, two years ago I took a rope, lotion and a mask to a park, and now I'm on the sexual offenders register. <laughs> <laughs> This reminds me there's one detail of the, the whole. Our, Anthony Albanese is unfortunate. We must call it an unfortunate dose it of is. COVID. We yeah. didn't mention and that, of course, he, he did insist that every journalist travelling on his campaign bus should be triple vaxxed and masked and should take rapid antigen tests or whatever they have to do Don't every five don't minutes. Don't seem useless. Well, what went wrong? Should, should he have insisted on a fourth vaccination or... Should he have just said, no, nah, we'll forget the whole thing. I'm going to get it anyway. I just went to a chemist. Uh, well, he said he was a chemist. You know, he was wearing a white jacket. He didn't have, from memory, he didn't have a building around him, though, so who knows? Anyway, it seems to have worked. <laughs> Talking to go to the chemist, I felt the early signs of s- dementia setting in this week when I, I, I reached into my bag to get the script that the the doctor had just given me and handed over to the man at the counter. And then it struck me, there's a lotto ticket poster there and some newspapers and some <laughs> biros. And I'm in the news agent. I'm trying to get the news agent to deal with my... <laughs> and the frightening thing was that he hated exactly what you're after. That, well, that's really concerning. Uh, and then, then you went in to pick up some lottery tickets from the pharmacist. Well, they tell me if you go to a shop to buy two items and you forget one of them. Pretty good these days. You're just in the early stages. Mm. You forget both items. You know, you're on the road, a long way down the road. Well, well c- c- can you sort of shift the odds further in your favour by m- making sure that you need it like 20 or 30 items? And that way, if you forget one, it's like, ah. Easy. One out of 30. You know, I'm really, I'm gold, you know. But if, you, if, you, if you're down to just two items... And you're forgetting one. Uh, it's a lot more obvious that you got issues. The Speaking trou- of issues, <laughs> the trouble comes when you can't find your car or your way yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's two things: you need a car and you need car keys. Try to put that combination together. That's hard work, friends. Mm. Which is why I mostly leave keys in my car. That must be easier. <laughs> um, but speaking of people who might be familiar with these kind of cognitive issues. Joe Biden had to be rescued the other day by a rabbit. <laughs> it's true. It's a true story. Last Monday, there was a, an Easter function on the White House lawn, and Biden found himself talking to, depending on the reports, he was talking to children or members of the media, or, although that's not to rule out children as members of the media, and was on the subject of Afghanistan or Pakistan or something, and... Someone in an Easter Bunny costume intervened to usher the president away. He didn't break character, though. He still did this sort of Easter Bunny wave, you know. <laughs> and but, but in between times, he was like putting a protective arm around the president. Come on, time to go, old fella. Get, get back over there. Uh, there's a bit of rabbit history with the US presidency. Oh, yeah. 1979, 1979, Jimmy Carter was plunging in the, plunging in the polls. He had a number of problems. One of them was his, his image as a less than forceful or manly type. 
And this wasn't helped when it emerged that on a camping holiday, he'd been attacked by a rabbit. He was paddling a, a canoe somewhere and um, an angry cotton-tailed bunny came swimming at him. And Carter was forced to defend himself with, the, with a paddle. And uh, nothing would have come from this except that one of his staffers just idly mentioned it to a guy from the Washington Post a few days later. And it, uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> the uh, Washington Post had no news going on that day. It was a very thin, thin news day, unusually slow news day. When the Washington Post found out about this rabbit story, which ordinarily might have been a page three, page five sort of piece, they ran it on one. You would, wouldn't you? Well, you, you, you would at a proper tabloid newspaper, but you wouldn't maybe in something that mm. treats itself a little more seriously, like the Washington Post. But they did run it very prominently. And, of course, that was it for, for Carter. He, uh, <laughs> you're not going to get many votes if you're the guy who had to fight off an angry rabbit. That's never going to work. But Beaten by a bunny punch. <laughs> <laughs> but... But now it turns out that Joe Biden's got an actual bunny guard who comes to his protection all the time, and uh, it's a bit humiliating, really, when you've got a costumed bunny who was presumably Secret Service or something. Who knows? Might have been packing heat under that costume. Well, no doubt we'll be seeing one of those on the on the trail here with Anthony Albanese. And as we say, as a man who reads from the Biden playbook when it comes to elections, I think. Not a bad you thing. You don't read too closely from it, though. I mean, I'm not sure that will translate all altogether well. Well, they are a feral Australian animal, like a feral pest over here. You danger them to go down with myxomatosis or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be unattractive, wouldn't it? Remember how Albanese's Albanese's campaign called off for a second week in a row as Bunny goes down with myxomatosis. <laughs> no, no. Even better would be um. Remember when there was a a doomed attempt to Australianise the Easter experience by having chocolate bilbies instead oh, of bunnies? Oh yeah, yeah. And it never really caught on. No. Although I, the other day in the supermarket, I did see a couple of lonely chocolate bilbies, but never really caught on. But it would be, wouldn't it be much more Australian to just modify your traditional, you know, chocolate bunnies? to make it look like they've got mixed and toasters. <laughs> like, <laughs> Australians could relate a lot more to a rabbit with, you know, great bulging, weeping sores and, you know, ruined eyes and all feet are all crippled up. That'd be like a rabbit you could embrace. And uh, maybe, yeah, that, that teach kids a little bit about uh, pest control at the same time. You're not suggesting we inject myxomatosis in Easter bunnies? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just suggesting that, you, that we, um, we mimic... The symptoms of myxomatosis in our chocolate confectionery bunnies. Yeah. Yes, That'd be a novel thing. Or maybe you can even do that just by melting them a little bit. <laughs> well, that might be a bit scary for the children. Well, there, speak, there speaks a, a bloke from the country who's no doubt familiar with what the, what the sight of myxomatosis laden bunnies. I oh, can't it's, it's, ever it's run not a, one. Don't, don't Google it. It's not, it's not pretty. CNN, Tim, your favourite... Uh, Yes, I, I love them. News channel, not. They're, they're, they're in more trouble. More trouble than the early settlers. This, this wasn't predictable at all. They, um, they launched CNN Plus, which was a subscriber streaming service. But it, all it featured was exactly the same people who were on the regular CNN. So for paying extra money... You got to not watch the people. You got to watch the people you weren't watching on TV anyway, because CNN's ratings have plummeted. But they just thought, if we just repackage the same crap presenters and ask for money, it'll just happen. And they spent a fortune on this project. And on Friday, I think last week, they um they closed it down after just twenty three days. And $300 million. They spent $300 bucks on a project, <laughs> this CNN Plus offshoot, that uh, it is an astonishing failure. And uh, the, the best comment from uh, one, of the, one of the staffers is that, um, this, this is, by the way, coming from someone who works at CNN whose job is to tell 
the rest of the world what's happening. They said they were absolutely shocked at, uh, at the fact that CNN Plus was being shut down. So they don't even know what's going on in their own building. Some journalists, man, some journalists. I'm not surprised. Uh, one of the most delicious bits of opinion data I saw last year was from Compass Polling. They, 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 they said to voters, a subscription to a, a service like Netflix costs between $10.99 and $22.99 a month. Given this, how much would you be willing to pay for the ABC if it wasn't funded mm-hmm. by the taxpayers but became a subscription service? Fair enough question, right? I mean, how yeah, people say so. they say it's the most valued broadcasting network in the country. Well, let's try it out. Ten dollars ninety-nine mm. minimum for Netflix, and they yep. were given a sliding scale and asked to position on the sliding scale how much they were going to pay. The average was two dollars fifty. <laughs> That's how much they valued it on average, and of course there was a whole swathe of people. I think more than sixty. percent There was two dollars fifty per what per per month per year per month per lifetime, and there was a whole two bucks whole, fifty. Whole dollar, but there was, of course there's a whole swathe of people who said nothing more than sixty yeah. percent. So you know these these right wing dreamers who think that the ABC can be privatised just. Haven't got a clue. It's not worth any money. Nobody would pay for it, you know. Ah, yes, but Nick, that's why we want it to be privatised. <laughs> I, I want it to be privatised item by item. Or not privatised. I, I want it to be auctioned item by item, like each pen would be an auction item. Each each individual laptop keyboard, every every pencil sharpener, every presenter their individual items of clothing you could keep this auction going for a decade you'd sell you'd auction off the headquarters in ultimo room by studio by couch every single thing each individual cushion on each couch (laughs) each coffee machine oh man you could have some fun for the first time i think in a long time perhaps in all time netflix subscriptions actually fell uh, and this they're putting an this down to wokeness, aren't they? I think. Well, absolutely. They um, they were anticipating two and a half million new subscribers, and instead they had a f- more than two hundred thousand people left. So they're out by quite a margin. This has caused, I think, I think from memory, a thirty-five percent share price drop, something in that area. This is a huge turnaround, and. You look at the look at the programming, and it's all this woke, like hyper woke, beyond woke mm. nonsense. Mm. And people are jack of it. They're not. They're not. They're not having this woke nonsense, and um, they're gone. And the same thing with Disney. Look at Disney's share price. Apparently, Disney is the worst worst performer on the Dow Jones all year so far, and it's gone well, woke as well. According to Netflix official statement, the reason that they've lost two hundred thousand subscriptions is quite a lot, right? Uh, yeah. In 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 the in January to March was because people are using other people's passwords. <laughs> right. So okay, that might hold water if Netflix hadn't grown so much during past years, but that just just suddenly realised in the first four months of 2022 that they can share passwords. Apparently, that number has suddenly just, it, exploded. It, it, it just suddenly dawned on people on New Year's Day. They didn't have to pay for <laughs> what? Oh, we're idiots! What? Why don't we all kick in for a group sort of subscription, and uh, we'll just use the same password? Good idea, Barry. <laughs> Nobody's ever thought of that before. And, and what's more, except the, except the very day that the internet began selling stuff on subscription basis, like twenty years ago, you know, more than. Certainly, no media company has ever thought of it and tried to come up with uh, some software to, to stop it happening. Not <laughs> ever. <laughs> come on, a week. No, they're in big trouble. All the Wokens are in big strife, and uh, and you know, CNN has, has burnt its reputation so much in the past decade or maybe longer. Mm. It was once um, considered. I mean, this is weird to say, given how crap modern CNN is, but it was considered kind of exciting. You know, it was considered a a, a a fun sort of way of, of, of you know, thrilling way of looking at news. And um, first it became incredibly boring, 
And then it became woke. It went down two bad paths parallel. And uh, now it's going broke. Mm. I mean, you throw 300 million bucks away on a, on a venture that was pretty much looking not great from the, from the outset. And that's when you've got ratings problems with the main channel as well. It's not like they were spinning off. It wasn't a successful spin-off like Laverne and Shirley. As our, our old mate Rowan Dean is fond of saying, go woke, go broke. But I don't actually believe that, Tim. Do you know why? Because I don't think why? we're woke and we're broke. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, the difference is it's in the go, right? Ah. So if we've, we start off broke, we can't fall any further. But when you go woke and you've got money, then you go broke. See, that's, we don't have the opportunity to follow that, that, that trajectory. It's an if we had money, we could, we, could ex- yeah, we could experiment. We could, like, I'd, I'd be the broke one and you could be the guy with money. Like, so I'd be the control in the yeah, experiment. Yeah. And we'd see what happened if you didn't, if you remained non-woke, and if, if you kept your cash. And then it would, yeah, uh, the theory would be, would be laid out. We could be actually see, see some facts in it. It's an, act, an active gesture uh, towards poverty, in other words. Yes. Yeah. Well, for, <laughs> selfless. Fortunately, there is no subscription fee to the six shots. Well, there is a subscription fee. Sorry, I'm, you, you, the subscription fee is having to reach down and give us five stars right away and tell all your friends about it uh, because we have to keep that that God called the algorithm happy to send us rocketing to the char- top of the selections. Give us five stars. You can email us at nick at radiobcc.com and uh, tell all your friends. And uh, is that about it, Tim? We'll be back next week, I think. Uh, I believe it is. I oh, next week. Is. We've got Caroline DeRusso and... and um, Well, Caroline's on anyway. Um, we, might, <laughs> we might see. <laughs> what more do you want? Yeah, come on, your password-sharing freaks. Jesus, <laughs> so green. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. Australia. Yeah!